All righty, let's be uh, opening our Bibles up to uh, Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 22. Those of us who need glasses, go ahead and get our glasses out. Those of us who don't need glasses, just count yourself blessed and young. Amen? You know, when I was young, I used to make fun of people who needed reading glasses. I mocked them. I said, let me hold this a little farther away for you, you know, because everyone would be like, like this. Um, uh, but, you know, God has a way of humbling us uh, when we get older. Amen? <clears throat> and so that's what he did with me, and now I can blind as a bat without my, my glasses. All right. Well, uh, welcome to church. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I hope that uh, you uh, will enjoy your time here worshiping God. Hopefully that you'll get something from the Word of God that you can uh, apply to your life. Amen. That will be encouraging, uh, inspiring, uh, maybe even a little convicting uh, and transformative. Amen. Uh, if you're a Brewers fan, my condolences. Um, I'm sorry. I actually got on the bandwagon, though I grew up in Minnesota. It's not against my conscience to cheer for the Brewers like it is a, about some other Wisconsin team that I can't name uh, during the sermon time, okay? be a compromise of my conscience. Anyways, uh, but anyways, uh, I'm bummed that the Brewers lost, but uh, it was a good effort, and uh, there's always next year, all right? Uh, welcome to my pain and suffering of being a Minnesota sports fan my whole life of 46 years. Um, yeah. So anyways, let's get on to more positive things. Um, today, we're going to be talking about transformation. Transformation. And we could be turning, actually, I told you to uh, Acts 22. You can keep your finger there. If you could actually turn over to Romans chapter 12. Um, I have a question for you. Do, do, we, do we feel like the world needs transformation? You know, uh, um, it doesn't, one of the things that I enjoy doing, kind of relaxing a little bit, is I watch the evening news. And it's just interesting how afterwards I'm like, why did I watch that? <laughs> uh, but it is a reminder of how much the world needs to change. Amen? And it's good for us to stay in touch. Sometimes we can get our little bubble of a world, and we can just try to manage that and make everything go well in that. And it's good for us to be aware that no matter what's going on here in this little bubble, there's a lot of things in the world that are, are hard and are not good and need the Lord. Amen? And the world definitely needs to be transformed. Now, another question I have for you is, does the world have the answer of how to transform itself? Does the world have the answer? You know, back in the scientific revolution days, this great uh, thought came about with how much was being discovered that, boy, it's not going to take long that the world is just going to get better and better and better because we're getting smarter and smarter. We know more and more how to fix problems. It's going to be better and better and better. So by like the 19th or 20th centuries, the whole world is just going to be awesome. How did that go? Right? Um, that's not what we see, actually. And it points to maybe science doesn't have all the answers. 
what I know, maybe the technical, the uh, technological revolution. That will solve all the problems because now all we got to do is Google the answer or the question, right? We Google it. Who, who would have thought 15 years ago that Google would be a verb, right? Uh, um, but just let's Google it. You know, how do you have a good marriage? I know. Let me Google. How do you have a good marriage? Click. There's all the answers. Easy peasy, right? I know. How about raise, te raise teenagers? There's the answers. Funny that um, that's not exactly working very well. So we need to be humble that the world doesn't have the answers. Now, uh, so how can the world truly be transformed. Let's get a little more personal. Can you and I really change? Can we be transformed from the inside out authentically, not just conforming to a bunch of rules? Let's, see, let's listen to what Paul says here in Romans 12, and then we're going to go back to the book of Acts. Romans 12 says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So this is where transformation begins, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, spiritual or reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's a great study that I'll let you do on your own, the difference between being conformed versus being transformed. Um, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, the Bible says that we can be transformed. Amen? So the answer is, can we change? The answer to that is yes. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Uh, Let's believe that, amen? But how does that work? How does that work, right? Uh, well, that's what we're going to see. We're going to go back and study one of the greatest transformation stories and examples in the history of mankind, I believe. One of the greatest stories of transformation, and that is the transformation of Saul, or who he comes is the Apostle Paul. It would be like, we're kind of familiar probably a little bit with Paul, but I think sometimes we actually miss what just happened. What would you think, who, 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 who knows, have heard, has heard of Hitler? Okay, we've heard of Hitler, okay. Um, Hitler, good guy, bad guy. He's one of the bad guys, right? Okay, um, says, I think to better the world, to transform the world, I know what we should do. Let's wipe out the Jews, because they're the problem. Nothing like looking at yourself, right? Um, and so, what if, though, as Hitler was wiping out the Jews, all of a sudden, he came a Christian, and Jesus appeared to him. And he went from wiping out the Jews to actually not just stopping doing that, but, but entering into Israel and being the biggest promoter of the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation in the history of the planet. What would that, what would that be? That would be transformation right there, right? That's a lot like what the Apostle Paul is, has happened to him. 
An incredible story of transformation. Someone who went from murdering Christians to being the largest proponent and evangelist and teacher of Christianity uh, in, in, in our history. Okay, So how did that happen? That's what we're going to look at. Josh has a picture I want us to think about here. This is, this is a picture from creation of transformation. Okay, And I know it's, you know, we've got, it's not a new idea like, oh, wow, I just thought of a butterfly. I know you've heard that for centuries, right? But that is a great picture of not just the caterpillar becoming a, caterp- a better caterpillar. I know, Mr. Caterpillar, you can change. Let's walk faster. This is, this is a lot of the way the world says that we can change. Try harder, caterpillar. Walk faster. I know what you need to do to do better is grow a few more legs. Or what you do, Mr. Caterpillar, actually, is go to a personal caterpillar trainer. Or now they call him a coach. Go to a life coach, Mr. Caterpillar. And you can be the best caterpillar on the planet. You're going to beat all those fellow caterpillars out. Right? That's not the kind of change that the Bible is talking about. This is the kind of change. Going from a caterpillar into this cocoon and coming out a completely different form. That's trans, new, different, morph form, okay? That's some of that study that you're going to do on your own, okay? That's what that's talking about. So Paul uh, was transformed. Let's catch up here to where we are. So we're walking through the book of Acts this year, and we were in chapter 22 a couple weeks ago, but last year we took a step back. Uh, Hopefully not spiritually. We just took a step back into the text, and uh, talked a little bit more about the persecution and the nature of persecution in opposition, okay? Um, so Paul is being in, in Jerusalem. He's gone on the, from the offense to the defense. Three bold missionary journeys all throughout uh, um, Samaria, uh, the Gentile world, up to, uh, um, I don't know, just look on your map. We've talked about that before, okay? And now he's going to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Rome. And he's gotten arrested, and now he's on the defense. So chapter 22 through 28, we see Paul, in essence, a lot defending the Christian faith, defending himself, etc. Okay? So um, what he uses here twice in Acts 22 and then in Acts 26 is his own personal transformation to make the point of the Christian faith, to defend the faith. Okay? So chapter 21, verse 39 is where we're going to pick it up. Okay, but Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. You know, when you got something to say, right, you don't, you, it doesn't matter how they're acting, you got something to say that you know will help, amen? You know, I remember my dad would get really upset with me as a child because I was so quiet. I didn't, he's like, you don't feel strongly about anything. You're not fired up about anything. You're just this passive, quiet, kind of go along with the crowd. And I couldn't disagree with them. That did describe a lot of my character. But once I became a disciple, right, once I met Jesus, it's like all of a sudden I, was, I started to transform into someone who would be loud, someone who would not be afraid to talk anymore, not because I grew encouraged, but because I had something to say. How about you? Do you got something to say to the world? 
Are you, are you saying, hey, please let me speak here. I got something to say. I want to talk about Jesus. And that's what Paul is getting at here, all right? Uh, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, quiet down, fellowship breaks over. And uh, when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in Aramaic or in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So what Paul, stop right here, what Paul is doing is he is relating to his persecutors. He's saying, you know what? I'm also a Jew. I was also super zealous to put this, put the way, that's what uh, the Christian faith was called. One of the names, its names was the way. It's probably a, a, a sarcastic comment when Jesus said, I am the way. And the Jews were like, what are, oh, the way is here again. Does that make sense? He's like, I'm with you. I'm a Jew. I understand what you're feeling. Um, it really is, he's responding to persecution the way the Bible says. Actually, instead of responding in kind, which is nasty and lies, he's responding kindly. He's responding with like, hey, I understand. It wasn't that long ago I felt the same way you feel. Matter of fact, you can talk to the, the priests and the Pharisee council, the Sanhedrin. They commissioned me to go kill disciples. See, Paul was not new. Paul had relationships. These were some of his old best friends, okay? Um, and uh, um, he says, I was on my way to Damascus to punish and try to bind up more disciples. So I want to start with, this is kind of like Paul's journey share, all right? Last week, Alec did a great job with his journey share, and we do that a lot. So this is kind of like Paul saying, here's my journey share. This is my before Christ experience. I was born in Tarsus, so I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen, but I'm a Jew, okay? And this comes into great, uh, incredible importance as Paul goes throughout the Gentile land as a Roman citizen. It got him out of a lot of trouble being a Roman citizen, but he was a Jew. He knew the Jewish law. He knew how the Jews think and feel, okay? I want to flip over to Philippians chapter 3 real quick, because as we listen to Paul's journey share, he also kind of shares what was going on internally in Philippians chapter 3. A number of different places, but we have great insight here in Philippians 3. Let's read here in verse 5 of how he thought and felt about himself uh, before Christ. Verse, uh, chapter, actually, chapter 3, verse 4, uh, second part of verse 4. It says, If anyone else has a mind but confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised 
the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's like, I'm of the, basically the most elite tribe in all of Israel. I'm not just a Jew. I'm a, uh, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised in the eighth day. I mean, he's like, I am of the upper crust. Okay? I could put a lot of confidence in my heritage as a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. Okay? Now, the Pharisees were the, the most strict adherents uh, to the law. All right? Uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. In other words, I was going for it. I was zealous. Uh, I was fired up. As to, righteous, to the righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Okay? So this is Paul's mindset. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Benjamite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Kind of like um, if we would have gone to Christian elementary school, high school, and graduate school. <laughs> okay? And uh, he says now, uh, go back to Acts 22. He says, I went to, uh, he probably grew up in Tarsus until he was about 13 years old. And then he went to Jerusalem to train to go to school. This is called School of Hillel. It was one of the most elite schools, Jewish schools in Jerusalem. And it'd be like, uh, I'm going off to college. Where are you going? I'm going to Harvard or Yale. Okay, that, That's the School of Hillel. And he trained under Gamaliel. Gamaliel, we know in Acts chapter 5, is one of the most respected rabbis amongst all the Jews. Gamaliel said like a few sentences and he changed their whole minds like that, okay? So Gamaliel, the word, his name literally means the beauty of the law. The beauty of the law. Okay, so this was, this is Paul's before Christ experience. These Jewish boys, they would spend years memorizing the Old Testament, okay? Years of intense question and answer, arguing and debating uh, issues of the law. Truly an expert in Judaism, in Old Testament. Um, and by the way, so is Jesus. So is Jesus at 12, was found in the temple, uh, discussing and debating uh, with the temple leaders. Um, he was religious. Paul was extremely religious, very knowledgeable, incredibly sincere, very zealous. But was Paul right with God? Was he spiritual. Let's uh, look over in Acts 26, verse 9. He kind of describes, I'm going to draw from, also from Acts 26, because this is also when he shares kind of his journey share in another situation. He describes himself where he was at emotionally, spiritually. Verse, verse 9 says, So then I thought to myself, I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul is literally like, I'm trying to get these Christians killed. We need to kill them. Does this sound like, the God, like God? Okay? It's amazing how we can be religious, guys. We can be super religious. We can look, we can, have, we can know the Bible, we can be religious, we can be zealous, we can even be sincere 
and wrong. Are you with me there? I know for me, I'm going to share about humbling experiences in my own life quite extensively. But I know that described, that, des- that, can, that described me hardcore for 20 years, and it can still describe me. Oh, I go to church. I'm a minister. Right? I'm a disciple. I'm a Bible talk leader. I'm, I'm all doing fine. You know what? Let's not be deceived. Let's not be deceived. Our religiousness doesn't make us spiritual. Sometimes it can even hurt because we keep it all together on the outside and we neglect what's going on deep inside. I thought Alec did a great job sharing last week. He says, hey, it's not that we sinned less. We were just really good at hiding it. Do you remember that? I was just like, right? (laughs) Job, Alec. Call us out. Okay. Um, Let's not be deceived. Let's not uh, ourselves... But let's not be deceived. Just because someone is sincere and zealous and religious doesn't mean that they're right with God. If that's what it meant, then Paul would be fine. If We're not judged based on our sincerity. We're judged based on objective truth. And truth is objective. As much as our society would like to say, well, two plus two can equal three if it feels good to you. Actually, I don't really care how it feels to you. What I care about is that it actually equals four. Well, I think it's five. Okay, well, you're wrong. Well, you, that's offensive. Why are you judging me? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to judge you, but you're still wrong. That's the nature of the truth. That's the nature of the scriptures. This is why the world doesn't change a whole lot, because we just wanted to say what we wanted to say to feel good for us. Funny, let's see how Jesus interacted with Paul, because I don't think he was overly concerned with how Paul felt. Let's read on. Okay? Amen? Okay. The next section here talks about Paul's humbling. So, so far we've heard about his before Christ experience. Now Jesus is going to bring him into a humbling experience. Verse 6, but it happened that as I was on on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six words. I love Jesus just gets to the point. But he does say two of those words the same. Seven words, thank you. So six plus one is seven, even though I think it's six. Thank you for telling me the truth. When Jesus repeats a name, it is meant as a correction or rebuke. Martha, Martha, why are you so worried and upset about many things? Okay, Uh, uh, Peter, Peter. Simon, Simon, excuse me, Simon, Simon, get behind me, Satan. Oh, that kind of hurt my feelings, Jesus. Okay? Just repent, okay? So here's saying, Saul, Saul, the voice, the same voice that created the universe, calls him out by name, got his attention. Why 
Are you persecuting me? Why? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Why? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. How long did this take? I don't know, maybe a few minutes? I don't know exactly. But before Paul is angry, he's going to stamp out Christianity. He is, he, he's forceful. And after one conversation, seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus, he's blind. He's on his face before God. He needs to be led by the hand. What just happened? I think there's a, we, could qual- we could say a lot of things just happened, but one of the things we know for sure just happened is Paul just had a humbling experience. You with me there? Can, can Start to think of the humbling experiences you've had in your life. We'll get to that in a minute. God intervened into Paul's life. God arranged this meeting on the road to Damascus. The whole group collapses in sheer terror. Paul saw the glorified Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. We would all agree with that. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead in some kind of ghostly spirit form. He rose physically. In, In a glorified form, yes, but physical. Okay, So he saw the risen Jesus. He didn't just see a light. He didn't just hear a voice. He saw Jesus. How do we know that? Acts 9, 17, 22, 14, 26, 16, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, and 15, 8 all says that Jesus appeared to him. Okay? I think what could change Hitler? It's not going to be, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I don't know. I'm kind of feeling weird about this plan. That's not going to change him. But seeing the risen Lord is what changes him, what would change us, and what changed Paul. Are you with me there? We don't change ourselves. God changes us, okay? He was led by the hand. Have you ever been led led by the hand somewhere? It's a posture of total brokenness, total helplessness. Um, Jesus like, get up, go to this house, and there you'll be told what to do. Jesus wasn't like making encouragements or suggestions. Jesus kind of acted authoritative. He kind of acted like a king who was in charge. Well, he shouldn't be acting that way. He should ask me how I feel or think about it, and then I'll decide what I want to do. That's not how it works, guys. Right? Lost my mic. That's not how it works. When God says something, our posture should not be, hmm, let me think about it for a while. I'll go process this through my incredibly intelligent and amazing processor. (laughs) And then if I'm really feeling moved, maybe I'll think about actually obeying you. 
Now, I'm all for processing. If you know me, you know I like to process. Okay? And I'm all for emotions and experience, right? But we must really be for if the Bible says it, we're going to do it. Or are you bored with that? Has that grown a little too simple for you? Funny, it wasn't very simple to Paul, right? He said, Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what to do in a little bit, and it's going to come through the man named Ananias. I'm not even going to tell you that right now because you've got some wrestling to do, okay? And we're going to talk about that a little later. See, this sermon also got broken up into two, maybe three. Um, But uh, let's talk about a humbling experience. Paul was stopped in his tracks, knocked off his high horse. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to share some humbling experiences that I've had in my own life to try to be open and vulnerable with you, okay? But listen to what Paul said. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all the things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have counted the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. What's rubbish? That Benjamin of Hebrew of Hebrews, rubbish. Pharisee, strict adherence to the law, rubbish. Super duper PhD masters, eight letters after my name under Gamaliel, rubbish. Because now I know Christ. Now I know Christ. How about you and I? How much do we count? Everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He says, and uh, be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now catch this here, listen. Being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay? The caterpillar's got to do what before it comes a butterfly? He's got to get into the cocoon. The caterpillar can't skip the cocoon phase. We like the idea of butterflies, right? God has plans for me, plans to prosper, give you hope and a future. Bless me, right? We love that idea, but somehow we kind of shirk at this idea of being conformed to his death. But that is how we transform. Paul couldn't just come out as Mr. Evangelist, church planter. He had to go through a humbling experience where he came to know Jesus and he wrestled with his heart and his mind and he had to die to those things. He had to die to his previous understandings, die to all kinds of things. We'll talk about that later. But God is, if he's in the business of transformation, which we all need him to be and claim him to be, right? Then we need to be in the business of conforming to the likeness of the death of Jesus and not fight that process. Are you with me there? I don't know if you are. Are you with me? Okay. (laughs) So I found in my life that God is continually working to break my pride in trying to humble me. And I don't claim to be humble I claim to be super prideful that God keeps humbling. Are you with me? And so, um, you know, when I was a kid, 
there was a country song, dating myself a little, but there was a country song, and it went along the lines of, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you are perfect in every way. You guys heard that song? No. <laughs> go read it. Go read it. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. To know me is to love me. I get better looking each day. That's the lyrics. Okay, I'm not just making that up. Okay, I was kind of like, hey, that kind of describes me. I had, we have in our family that ongoing joke, we have the Pede, my last name is Pede. We have the Pede self-esteem problem. It's not too little. It is way too much. You with me there? We got a self-esteem problem. It's called, <laughs> hey, hey, we're awesome. Okay, so this is how I grew up. This was what was enforced to me. And, and then I watched as my family, as we called ourselves Christian, started struggling and struggling and acting far more like non-Christians than Christians. And I was the youngest of the six. And so me being the youngest, you know what I thought? Psh. I would never do those things, you bad older people. And so I watched my dad lose his faith. I watched my parents' marriage struggle and end in divorce after 29 years. I watched my older siblings walk away, wander away from God. And so that didn't humble me, though. That just made me more self-righteous and puffed up until I got older. And then, guess what I saw? Everything I passed judgment on, doing the same things. It was a humbling time as I got more honest with my heart. Then I became a disciple. And, amen, all good from there, right? Um, you know what? You've only just begun the process of conforming to the likeness of His death once you say Jesus is Lord and enter that water. So for me, because I was so awesome, I was put in leadership right away, which is actually the Bible says not to do that, and there's a reason. But we kind of ignored that, and, uh, and I was all for it because, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm a peed, right? We, we roll. That's how we roll. Um, so uh, I actually had the thought one time. I remember having this thought, and even then my own conscience was like, oh, don't tell anyone that. But here I am. 30 years later, telling you, I had the thought, you know what? This church is lucky to have me. <laughs> wow. So this, then guess what happened? I got fired. <laughs> it was like instantly. And I'm like, wait a second, what about that lucky thing? <laughs> right? Um, God is keep trying to work me. And then I went into this kind of deep discouragement just deeply discouraged, falling asleep, reading the Bible. You guys with me there? Ever had the time you just falling asleep, almost falling away from God? And uh, man, I had to learn. God had to humble me about, man, this isn't about your own strength. This is about the grace of God. And I remember moving to Omaha. So then I was, they actually rehired me by God's grace. And uh, um, I remember moving to Omaha and it was like, I want to lead a church. And it was, this was when I was 30, right? I was like, oh, finally. <laughs> get to you know, lead around here. Finally get to do what I want to do. 
Have you ever had that thought? And if I let a Bible talk, we would do it this way. You know what my encouragement would be is go ahead and lead a Bible talk, all right? Try that out and then come talk to us afterwards. Because, all right, wait, why don't they put me in leadership, okay? Um, uh, uh, so then I remember in Omaha, in the middle of this, just breaking down in a leadership meeting, not knowing, I don't think I can handle the pressure. I don't know if I can do this. This is not what I thought it would be. I remember in, in our fellowship, in the early 2000s, our whole fellowship of churches, we were arrogant, we were self-righteous, we were judgmental, and God said, you need a humbling experience. And he put us through one. And if you're around then, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, um, the, th- the cool thing is that I'm fired up about is that I believe that we joined that process and we looked at, we re-examined everything. Man, wh- where, where, why are we so prideful? Um, I remember moving to Eau Claire and planting the church and I had an idea of how it was going to go. We're going to get 30 people. We're going to raise thousands of dollars. It's going to go awesome. And then I thought, you know what we want to do, though, is we want to learn how to rely on God with planting and building a church. What does it look like to rely on God? And so God said, great, here's how you're going to rely on me. No one's going to come, and you're not going to get any money. <laughs> but I still want you to go. Whoa, 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 time out. That wasn't the plan. But guess what? I was totally, we were totally alone, we were totally broke and totally broken and humbled. And then God said, okay, now I got your attention. And now we'll bring the people and now we'll provide the funds. And I remember when Heather, be, Heather came to church and I was just like, oh, actually, yeah, someone, someone came <laughs> to our living room. Like maybe I just didn't give up everything and move my four, two and eight month old for nothing. <laughs> Uh, just to get myself, because I remember saying, God, if you want me out of the ministry, this is a fine time to do it, because you've done that before, and I'm fine with that if that's what you want, because um, you're not presumptuous, right, about entitled to this, and uh, Heather came, I'm like, oh, someone I think is open, and she became a disciple, and then the Noels came, and then the Winholes came, and then the Rizzos became disciples, and then I remember when we got the call from the Mooses. Um, that we're actually going to move there. I'm like, oh my goodness, the Mooses? Um, and then the Bernickies. It wasn't a very pleasant call. But, uh, but uh, then they, I think, Tim, I remember the voicemail. Um, we may be a little wounded, but we're going to do whatever we can to serve the church. And I thought, wow. And I wasn't happy because it was tough on them, but I was, I was so happy <laughs> because they can move here and be with us. Um, are you with me? And so many others. And just it's, every time I get up here and I look at you guys, I think this is so humbling. So humbling. Because of what God, man, what's, what's Jesse do? <sighs> okay. It's actually, okay. Um, so humbling. You know, how about you? And I could go on in the humbling times in my marriage. I could go the humbling times when God rescued me from drowning. Uh, when, when those car acc- near car accidents, that was all my fault. And, and could have been disaster, right? All these situations. What is God trying to do? He's trying to get your attention. 
He's trying to stop you in your tracks. He's trying to say, wait, maybe you don't have it all together like you thought you did. And maybe you need to hit the floor and start listening a little better. You know what? I don't know how God's trying to humble you, but I know he is. I know he is. And we have a choice. Either we join that process or we kick against the goads. And Jesus said to Paul, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? It's just hard. You know, when God's trying to humble you, and like, you're just getting more and more stiff-necked, then what's going to happen is it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So I beg of you, join the process. Allow yourself to be broken and stop fighting God and join Him and humble yourself because you know what happens when you humble yourself? Then God says, I'll lift you up. What does God put the caterpillar in? A cocoon. So as the caterpillar literally is melting away in the cocoon, that's what's going on. The caterpillar is literally melting away. He's dying. He's being conformed to death. The cocoon keeps him safe. So while you're going through your hardship and your struggle, God keeps you safe while he's getting your attention. Amen? You can be, so therefore, let yourself surrender to it. Let yourself submit and be broken and be blind and be led by the hand. We'll pick up where we left off next week. We're going to talk about, so far we've talked about before Christ experience and humbling experience. Next week we're going to talk about a Jesus experience, a wrestling experience, a full conversion or full gospel experience, and our mission experience. This is how God transforms our hearts. Amen?